0: Paul Pepper, I'm the lead pastor here at ABC and Alliance Bible Church, and so it's, uh, it's a joy for me to be able to share God's word with you, um, and so reality, I don't know if you all knew this, but guess what, we are at church, so this is, what? Yeah, I know, isn't that insane? Like, who expected? Uh, so uh, that, that's so interesting that we, we, when we say, like, I bet many of you in just planning your Sunday thought, okay, I'm going to go to church. And then when you get here, you go, okay, now I am at church. And so I want to, like, I want to ask the question, what exactly might we mean when we talk about this idea of church? Like, that word is is a weird word that, like, okay, and somehow, like, and now we talk about my church is going to go, so, so, like, our church goes to the public schools in our area and does crossroads ministry, right? That's something that our church does. And yet, then, at the same time, we say, and now we're going to go to... The church, like the building, and like when nobody else is here, and I have to tell my wife, like I have something to do, I say I, I have to go to the church to go get that thing that I need, right, so so like sometimes we talk about churches like a place, right, it's like a building in our heads, and we use that word to describe church, and that, uh, I mean, I think we do that maybe because this is the place that we gather, because this is kind of the place that you know, we as a body uh, like have ownership over this building, right? That that might be it. I don't know. But then some other people, like you, might uh, picture in your mind, church is like a block of time. So it is a, a slot in your schedule. Uh, so now, like, so when it's on Saturday, you you're thinking Sunday morning, I have church at this particular time in the morning, right? Uh, and then for other people, interestingly enough, church is an experience. So when, when they understand church, primarily the first thing that they think of is, is some sort of experience. So like, uh, I, th- I see this most on, um, on singing shows where people are, are getting judged for their singing, and uh, somebody does a particularly good rendition of a song, and it's a completely like secular song, doesn't matter, but somebody does just really, really powerful and moving song, and one of the judges will say, oh, you took me to church. That's something that they'll say, right? So church is, for that person, they're identifying church with and experience right so uh so that's interesting uh because church seems to be used in so many different ways and i think over time our language in relation to this word has been distorted a little bit and so um so i want to i want to sort of redefine for us what church is and make sure that like you know i use it in a bunch of different ways i'm sure uh, a lot of you use the word in a bunch of different ways too but but first and foremost i think what we need to understand is that church is a people church is a people. So so why is that important? Why do I care so much about that? Well, the New Testament is, uh, the bulk of the New, New Testament is all about something called the church, and, uh, and so when the writers write letters, um, the writers of the New Testament, they're often, often writing letters to the church. In fact, the gospel writers, when they wrote the gospels, primarily their goal in writing the Gospels was to write them for this thing called the church. And then even, even uh, like Paul, when he's writing letters and he's, he's addressing specific issues inside of churches, like local churches that are planted. And so the, there's something about these people. He's trying to figure out what to do in, in certain situations. The, the, we get in the New Testament, the story of how the church began developing, all of this stuff. And, and, and the majority of the instruction in the New Testament is given to, to people who have sort of this, this collective communal identity as the church. So, uh, so communal identity, I just want to talk about this idea for a second. Communal identity is actually one crucial aspect of our identity structure as human beings. Like we understanding ourselves as a part of a community, as a part of a group of people, right? So, so we want to know innately, like when, whenever we even walk into a place that we're not familiar with, one of the very first things that we're trying to figure out is, hey, who are my people? Who who do I belong to in this group of people? Uh, what, um, we want to know who in this group might I look up to, right? So we want to identify people that we, we can join hands with, that we can lock arms with. We want to know uh, that we're a part of something, that something uh, is, is something bigger than ourselves, a group of people even bigger than ourselves. And, and in the New Testament... The communal identifier is this. You are the church. So then Peter, he's writing to this audience of his. Uh, and this audience, he, uh, he's, he, what he's going to do for them is he's going to hone in on this idea of communal identity. He wants them to be grounded in what their communal identity is. And so just a reminder about who his audience is. I want to kind of refresh us a little bit. His audience had lost every single sense of communal identity because they had they were exiles they they had been exiled out of their homes so the people that he was writing out writing to they were all located in Rome And then uh, Rome does something, we're not exactly sure what it is, but it it basically sends all of the Christians, not all of the Christians, but a a bunch of Christians out of Rome, get dispersed in all of these different countries throughout what is now modern day Turkey. And so all of these people are are without homes, they're kind of lost, and and they've lost their sense of communal identity, and, and a loss of that actually comes along with a loss of purpose. Like as you start to lose your people, as you start to misunderstand who your people are, or, or even think that you don't have a people, you start to lose your purpose. And so, what what these people who are exiled, they have an identity that is actually like really close on the verge of collapse. And so, uh, so then, he's also writing to people who aren't like literal exiles. Uh, he used this this is term "exiles" as a metaphor to describe kind of who we are, because, because we already acknowledge that as much as we might be residents in America, and, and residents of Bartlett, and we might have homes in our neighborhood, that, that we recognize that those places are not our permanent homes, um, and that our communal identity is not any one of those by itself, but our ultimate identity is in Jesus, and with Jesus's people, right? So he's writing to these people who uh, live as exiles, as literal exiles, but he's also writing to people who aren't necessarily necessarily literal exiles, but they still, they, they, they recognize they have a future home in heaven, and that means something for right now. And so, so if, we're, if, we're, if we're not at home, if we're acknowledging something about ourselves that we are not at home, you know, what can happen is uh, whenever you're not at home, uh, I so, like, I, I moved um, from my hometown to go to seminary up in Chicago, and that was a really challenging experience for me because when I was not at home, it was really easy to try to find a different group to identify with because I had a, a certain identity when I was at home. But then when I moved away from home, I had to find a different group to, to get my identity with. And, and so if, if we're not at home, like, like we're waiting on our home. Our home is in the future. Heaven is our future, right? And we're waiting for that home to come around. It can actually be really tempting for us to identify with the communal identities that exist all around us. And there are a whole host of identities that we could choose to identify with, right? That we could choose to throw ourselves into. We could throw ourselves into some of these identities of the world. And so, so Peter's recognizing for these people who are exiled from their homes, he's really concerned that, that they might attempt to adopt the identities and the places that they're going to. And so, so he wants to reform their idea of, of communal identity. And so... Um, So far, he's been emphasizing what is their individual identity. And so now he's moving into this realm of their collective or their communal identity. And so he he writes to them, this group of people, about who they are and what they exist for. Who they are and what they exist for. And so in verse 4, this is what he says. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So get this. We're we're all like I mean, we're God's people. We're people who've trusted in Jesus, right? And so, um, we have one ultimate leader. Here is the crazy thing about this leader: like you can be just connected to this leader as I am. Like, I might have some level of authority by nature of my position, right? But here's the reality. I am no more, I, I have no more opportunity to be connected to Jesus than you have to be connected to Jesus. Because Jesus is our leader and we all have full access to Jesus. So as we come to him, as we get this opportunity to come to the one who, who doesn't establish hierarchical structures in terms of determining how, how the kingdom is to be run, but, but gives every single one of us full access to himself. That's the kind of leader that he is. He gives us all full access. So as we come to him, we have to talk about this, this kind of leader that we have. What, is, what does it mean that Jesus is our, our key and our ultimate leader? Um. So every time we come to Jesus, every time we we pray to him, every time we seek after him, every time we want to know him more, this is what we're doing. We're making a really, really counterintuitive decision because Jesus was a criminal. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, but the the world decided that Jesus was a criminal. Uh, In fact, they decided to beat him for for the, the, the crimes that they said he committed Uh, And then so once he gets in the middle of this courtroom where they decided to beat him they they bring him before this tribunal and literally everybody in the room or everybody in the space starts crying out hey you know what we want him executed that's what they start saying so this is uh, and so then guess what then he goes and actually ends up getting executed so when we come to Jesus this actually doesn't make a lot of sense because we're following a guy who died like who was convicted for a crime And was executed. That's essentially what we're doing. And so why do we do this? Because the person who who initially... Jesus was initially even even rejected by his own... Some of his own disciples, right? You look at Judas. You look at Peter. uh, These guys who who rejected him said, I don't know him. The reason we come to this Jesus, who is considered to be a criminal, is because in the eyes of the Father, he is chosen and precious. So... Uh, when Jesus gets baptized, um, there at his baptism at the very beginning of his ministry, the, the voice of the Father actually calls out from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Like the thing on which we bank it is, is that God has, the Father has identified that Jesus is the one we are to follow. He is the new leader. And, and when, uh, when, when God says, hey, this is my beloved son, that's messianic language. He's talking about the one who was promised, the new leader of, of God's kingdom. That's who he is. This is my beloved son. He's the one that you should be following. And so, so God proved this to us. God proved to us that this guy who would end up being tried before a court and, and the whole crowd would cry out to have him executed, God proved to us that he was the one who was chosen by not leaving him in the ground, but by actually raising him from the dead. God showed us that Jesus is, in fact, the one who has all authority, the one who is the ultimate leader. And so forever, what we do is we follow this guy who was, who was simultaneously rejected, rejected by the world, right? but then was chosen by God. And that actually, the fact that that's who we follow means something for us collectively. So so then Peter goes on in verse five, and this is what he says. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is what Peter's doing. Peter is a Jew, and Peter is using Jewish imagery to communicate kind of the things that, that happen when we come to Jesus. So, so it says that we get built up into a spiritual house. Spiritual house, like in Peter's mind when he writes those words, he's thinking of the temple. He's thinking of the temple in the Old Testament, like this place where people came to meet with God. Actually, the temple is the place where God's presence resides. So what he's saying is, you're being built up. As you come to Jesus, you're being built up into this place where God's presence resides. And then he says a priesthood. He says uh, priests, what they were, the priesthood, they were the leaders and the teachers of what it means to worship God rightly. That's That's what the priests did. And he says, all of you, you're all priests together. And then uh, you offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices are, so not only do you teach right worship, but you actually practice right worship. You, you display the activities of right worship. So, so that's, let's talk about this imagery and then what this imagery actually means for us. So, so Peter calls, uh, calls us a spiritual house. So when it says God's presence, when I'm talking about God's presence, like the, 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 the temple is the place where God's presence resides, we have to clarify something because uh, one of the characteristics of God, one of the ways that we describe God is God is omnipresent or all-present. God is present everywhere at once. So how is it that God is present in one specific place if he's present Everywhere at once, and that's a that's a fair question. And and what uh, what seems to be the case as we read the Bible is that while God is present everywhere at once, there are particular places that God designates where He can be discovered and known. Like so, so God is absolutely everywhere present at once. He is with all creation everywhere, all at the same time. But there are specific places, uh, and we see this throughout the Old Testament. There are specific places where He can be discovered and known. In the temple. The tabernacle was actually one of those places that, that he had designated, I can be discovered and known here. And so, so this, is what, this is what Peter is now saying. He's now saying, hey, God has actually chosen you, you people, you Christians, church. He has chosen you to become the place where now in the world, where you exist in the world, God can now be discovered and known here in the midst of you. That's what he's saying. So, uh, so imagine you're in exile. Imagine you, you have been literally kicked out of your home and, and sh- taken off to some other country. You've been displaced from your home. What kind of encouragement would this be? That, that now, wherever you are, because the Holy Spirit is in you, there's a place where God can be discovered and known. You, with uh, your four or five, or maybe it's ten Christians in your town, There, in the midst of you, is a place where God can be discovered and known. So, just because you have been exiled, because you've been kicked out of your home, doesn't mean you've lost your identity. But God Himself, the living God, the God of the universe, the God who made everything, can actually be discovered in your midst. So, this has this has a few implications for us. The first implication is that when we gather together. When we get together on Sunday morning, something amazing is happening. That we actually believe that when people come in amongst us, that they can actually discover and know God. That, that they understand something about who God is when, when they come into our midst. But, but what that also means is that like, when, when you gather in homes, uh, in your small groups, certain nights, that, that we assume that like, in those places, that, that's where God can be discovered and known uh and so uh when when there's a there's a tuesday more a group that meets here every tuesday morning uh a, we have several folks that come to that and that group meets right here in the church and i've got to say like that is a place right there where god can be discovered and known like whoever comes into their midst and and uh, many many of those people they're they're in later stages of life right many of you are in later stages of life as you gather in that group and and what's amazing is the fact that God, like, reveals His presence, like, God still chooses to use you in those moments to be the place where He can be discovered and known. In fact, many of those people, I don't know if you know this, but they spend, they invest a lot of, a big bulk of their time gathering on Sunday morning in prayer for, for, for Most of you, whenever you have stuff come up in your life, whenever you have something that you really need prayer for, the people that gather there on Tuesday morning, they're praying for us. And I wonder, like, if because they prayed for us, like, if this church is not just able to do all the things that we're able to do because of the time that they've spent investing in prayer for us there, because that is a place where God can be discovered and known. I look at that prayer board, and I see, I don't know. So they have this prayer board. It's a a green board, and they have uh, two columns. One is requests and the other one is answered and it's crazy like you watch that board you see cards move over to the answered column just like crazy they're seeing prayers answered left and right taken care of and so they're investing in this congregation but they say they they recognize hey when we get together here's a place where God can be discovered and known so that's that's massive implications when Christians gather together God can be met here right okay so the second implication Second implication is this, when we go out, when when we get sent out from this place, when we go out from Sunday mornings, when we go out into our work weeks, we carry something of this place with us. And it's not this place, we carry something of like God's Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit of God in us out into those places. We carry the presence of God with us when we leave here, right? And so what that means is that in our jobs and in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods and in the coffee shops and all of this stuff, there... God like, God can be discovered and known with us as we go into those places. We carry the presence of God with us, so that's the second implication. The final implication is this. Uh, we've talked about the, the bu- this a little bit, but, but church is not a building or an organization. Church is a people. So this building could get demolished, and we could have 80 pipes burst in this building. Uh, and you know what? The church would not die because church is not a building. Church is a people. Right? So, so now, the, this, this people that we are, we, we have a few things. We're a priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices, so we have to talk about what that means. We are leaders and teachers of right worship, and we display the activities of right worship. So our first and foremost, this is what this means, our first and foremost collective identity. Before we are anything else, before we do anything else, this is, this is who we are. We are worshipers, first and foremost. Our purpose like, the, the ultimate purpose that we have in everything is worship. Like, it, it, it rises to the top. So when we are shown as a priesthood, we, we are teaching people and, and revealing to people what it means to worship God rightly. And when we, we offer spiritual sacrifices, we're doing the activities of right worship. And, and all of this, I, this is why uh, the elders, we crafted a strategy statement. And this is, this is what it is. Our strategy is this. We develop Jesus followers who worship. That's why worship's at the top of the list, because we recognize that the primary thing that we do as God's people is give worship to Him. Like, that's our primary function. And so, so it's, it's going to be helpful to talk about worship and to clarify a few things, because we use that word, and I, I feel like we don't always know what it means when we use it. and So, so um, it's commonplace uh, today, it has become commonplace for, for us to view worship through a consumeristic mindset. So, uh, meaning, we don't gather to—we we think, when we process worship in our heads, we, we don't gather together on Sunday mornings primarily uh, to, to give something, but we primarily gather to see what we can get on Sunday mornings, right? This is something that has happened uh, in the church in America at large. Like, people are showing up to worship primarily because they're, they're, they're trying to see what they can get— and it's called spiritual sacrifices for a reason, because worship actually, like, costs us something. That's the implication. Like, when we worship God, like, ultimately what it means is it costs us our lives, right? That's why the Bible says, like, we die to ourselves when we come to Jesus, right? Because it costs us something. So, uh, so if you, if you are coming here and you're trying to say, okay, well, like, what can I get from God? You know what? I can actually like, I can point you in the direction of, like, 50 preachers who are way better than I am at preaching, and you can listen to them online. Like, if you're, if you want to see, like, what, if you come in here to see primarily, like, what can I get, like, gosh, I got, I got a ton of resources that, like, you could get something out of, right? If you want something to instruct you and build up your soul. In fact, I could probably, like, I could point you in the direction of, like, uh, like, there are really great, like, YouTube channels that just have worship running all the time on them, like, worship music, uh, right, just running all the time, and I could point you in those directions and say, that's like really good stuff. It sounds really, really great. So if we're coming here primarily to see what can I get, like, that's problematic because, like, on, on the internet, like, things are getting produced all the time. Like, you can get what you need. Like, if you're thinking this is about what I get, you can get worship and all the, the content in the middle of your week. You can get it without gathering with other people, right? So, let's talk about then why we actually gather. If that's the case, if we can get all of those things, why do we actually gather? And the reason that we gather is because worship of the one true God is what we do. That is our job. Like, that's that's our primary description. Like, in everything that we do, we do it to the glory of Jesus. So, because, this is why, because before Jesus, we couldn't even be accepted by God. Like, we had in our hearts a sin. We had inside of ourselves brokenness. And so, uh, so when we, like, c- try to come to God, like, God can't even accept our worship. And so in, uh, in the Old Testament, it says, like, our worship is like filthy rags to God. Like, right? So, so our worship is unacceptable. But then Jesus actually did something to make the relationship right between us and God. Right? So now, everything that we do in word and deed can actually be done unto the glory of God. Because Jesus actually makes our worship acceptable to God, so that that means that we don't gather together on Sundays primarily to get fueled up for our week, to uh, to to be taught or to do teaching. We don't we don't get gather together primarily to encourage or to be encouraged. All those these are all things that we do on Sunday morning. We don't even gather together primarily to like listen to a sermon, like or or I don't get here like primarily just to preach like the reason that we are here on Sunday morning is because Jesus has fixed our broken relationship with God and we uh, he has made us a part of his people and as his people we believe that that is something worth celebrating we believe that's something worth getting together and honoring Him for. And so this is what we do. We gather to, to read Scripture. We gather to pray. We gather to teach, to correct, to encourage, to discuss. All, all of these things. But first and foremost, they all fit into the category of worship. Because worship is what we are called to do. Because first and foremost, we are primarily worshipers. So, uh, so if that is like our collective identity, first and foremost, we are worshipers. Worshippers. Then Peter goes in and he clarifies the why for us in verse 6. He says, for as it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So, So what he's doing is he's talking about Jesus and those who trust in Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, and he calls Jesus a cornerstone. So uh, so the cornerstone is the stone on the building, the, the, the stone that is set at the corner of the building, and every other stone in the building has to orient itself to the cornerstone, and if the stone can't, like, fit the shape, fit the mold that the cornerstone provides, then, then that stone is no good, and you have to get another stone to go in it. Like, every other stone gets positioned in the building based on the cornerstone, which means that for those of us who believe in Jesus, like, Jesus is our pattern, He's not just our foundation, but he shows us the means by which we actually, like, fit into this thing called the church. And then, so, so then he talks about those who believe, and then he makes a comparison. He says, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So, so those who don't believe in Jesus, this is what they do. They, they think what they're doing are those who reject Jesus. They think that they're, they're throwing him away, that they're, they're doing away with him, that, that, uh, that Jesus' thing is useless or meaningless or faulty, or there are some good things in Jesus, but I don't really need to follow him, right? So, so I, I don't really need Jesus. I'm going to do away with Jesus. I'll be okay without Jesus. And the problem is, is that objectively, Jesus is actually the cornerstone. Like, he is the, the true reality of what it means to be the cornerstone. Regardless of what they do with Jesus or what they decide they're going to do, uh, Jesus is the real cornerstone. And because of that, for those people, Jesus is, is not actually a foundation for them, but he is, the, he is the cause of their problem. Like, he is the thing that reveals to them, like, they're actually, like, they're the ones who are, like, they don't throw away Jesus, but because Jesus is who he is, they end up getting thrown away right like that's the implication because they're not aligning with the true and real cornerstone and so uh so then it says this part about being destined they they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do and so i could see like somebody reading that and going okay so are you telling me god destined those people to not trust in jesus are you telling me god destined those people to disobedience from the very beginning actually no that's not at all what peter is saying in this case this is what he's saying He's actually, like, he's acknowledging we all are destined to disobedience. We all have something innately broken inside of us, like brokenness in our relationship with God, brokenness in our relationships with each other. Like, this stuff is in our blood. This is who we are. But then something has happened. For those of us who trust in Jesus, God actually rewrote our destiny. Like, God gave us a different destiny right so we all were destined but but god did something to change this reality and so you know what this is why we worship because we could have gone the way of the rest of the world but instead god stepped in and changed things for us he saved us and so so the jesus that that might be a problem for others that jesus is our foundation god gave us a new story he made us a part of a new people in jesus and so we get together and we worship him. Like, it's that simple. Like, God, God has told a new story for us, and so we simply get together and gather and worship him because he is worthy of our worship. So then, verse 9. Peter describes to them, he kind of he zeroes in on exactly what their collective identity is, and this is what he says. And I just want you to hear this, Alliance Bible Church, this is who we are. Verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So we're chosen. Uh, when he says chosen race, he's referring, like, so, so um, race and identity, they're, they're very tightly linked. Like, people... People find often their identity, uh, whether it be in the color of their skin or whether it be the group of people that they came from, like you talk about the Jewish race of people right but but it's a very easy thing to find your identity in but then but then uh, Peter he describes those who believe in Jesus as a chosen race so Meaning, regardless of your skin color, regardless of whatever line of descent you may have come from, the race that you are a part of is actually a greater race. Like, that is a greater identity. Like, the fact that you believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, this is a, a greater identity than than the, the identity that comes along with your race. And so, we are God's chosen people. This is a, an identity that transcends our skin color. God has decided that, that Jesus' followers above all, all other people are going to be set apart, like, are going to be for him. And that is our most, like, our most, the most identifiable thing to ourselves about us. Like, the, the most clear thing that we can picture is we're chosen. We're, we're part of God's chosen race. And it says we're priests. We're a royal priesthood. So priesthood has to do with religion. Priests uh, mediate religion, this kind of stuff. So, so let's talk about what religion was before. For us Because before, uh, kind of our relationship to religion was we were confused about God, we were maybe striving against God, we were trying to do things that God didn't want for us, and so religion now is that actually like what happens once we come to Jesus is that we become the kind of people who, who help others understand God. So we have now transferred from people who once ourselves couldn't even understand God and tried different ways to grasp at who he was. But now, because of Jesus, he's actually transferred us into these people who reveal and help the world understand who God is. So we're priests. It says we're a holy nation. Okay, this is fun. Uh, we're a holy nation. So um, is, that, is anybody Canadian in here? Okay, thank the Lord. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been funnier if there was one Canadian in here. But uh, So, uh, so, so we, we're, we're part of this nation, the United States of America. We are Americans. Uh, and there are, actually, there are a whole host of identities that could come along with what it means to be an American. Like, people might identify that differently, but, but I think, like, generally, some of the things that come along with identifying as an American, we see ourselves as, as the strongest, as better than everybody else in the world, right? We are, I mean, we've considered ourselves at times to be the hope of the world. Uh, we are, like, we, we have to be the police for the world. We have to make sure that everybody's kind of falling in line with the things that they're doing. America sees itself as, like, this shining light on the hill for the rest of the world, but but as a holy nation, like, there, we, we acknowledge that there are some things that it means to be Americans that are actually, like, against what Christ wants for us, right? So, so as a holy nation, like, we're Christians before we are Americans, when, when Peter's calling us a holy nation, he's saying, you are Christians before you're Americans. So, so there are some things about our, our American identity that we can be proud of, like freedom of religion. I am proud to be in a country that gives, us, uh, gives people the freedom to worship, right? To worship kind of however they desire. So I'm, I'm absolutely proud to be an American in that aspect. But, but some aspects of being an American, uh, particularly today, they're, they're in conflict with Christ. Which means that there are some aspects of being an American that, that we're actually going to have to die to in order to live as Christians, right? So, so when uh, being an American means my own personal autonomy and independence, right? And we even celebrate Independence Day, right? So when when being an American means my own personal autonomy and independence, uh, that's kind of opposed to the fact that what we do in in Jesus' kingdom is, like, we're completely dependent on Jesus, right? So it's not about independence. Like, our new identity is actually about complete dependence on one who is greater than we are. Uh, so when being an American means in some cases, and not for everybody, but in some cases, identifying being an American means freedom to the extent that we, we celebrate the death of the unborn. And, and, and then what happens is that um, it, it, Christians are called to plead the cause of the oppressed, right? So when we see that happening, uh, we can't just go along with that because we're called to plead the cause of the oppressed, right? So that, that's our, our Christian identity is in conflict with our American identity. When, uh, so sometimes being an American means, you know, like taking mine, like taking what belongs to me, taking what's mine to get ahead, right? And so uh, we're kind of told a different story as Christians. We're told to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like these are the things that we're told. So, so our Christian, like we're a part of a holy nation. And that nation transcends all other nations. So our national identity has to be... It doesn't, mean that, like, there, it doesn't mean that we get rid of our national identity, but it means that we subject our national identity to our Christian identity in every circumstance. Our heavenly citizenship, citizenship actually takes priority over our earthly citizenship. I say, okay, so that's a, we're a holy nation. And then the last one is we are people for God's own possession. We belong to God. So we used to, we used to think that, hey, we belong to ourselves, but now Peter identifies that actually, no, now, like, God owns you. God has you. God is protecting you. He has his hands on you. And so, so he uses all of these things to kind of describe who we are, that we're, that we're chosen, that we help the, the world understand who he is. And the, the reason for all of that, he's like, okay, collectively, this is who you are. That all results in a purpose, and that's, this is what that purpose is. He goes on and says, So that you may proclaim the excellencies who, of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So as we live out this identity, as we uh, just, just sit in it, as we gather together, as we go out, all of these things, what happens is that we, we believe that we reveal to the world around us who Jesus is and what he does. Like as we, as we worship Jesus, as we gather together and we sing our songs and we, um, we, we hear scripture and we listen to teaching and we seek to be corrected and then we go out from this place and we try to live those things out and then we gather back together again and then we go back out. Like as, as we live in this rhythm, we believe that what happens is in our neighborhood and in our town, like people look in on us and they see something about who Jesus is. Right? Like, we have the opportunity in simply living as Jesus called us to live for people to get to know and understand God. So God chose, like, some Christians who live in Bartlett and the surrounding area, like, God chose to, like, get them together in this place in the middle of this town so that we could, we could have our outpost, this little plot in our city that we could love people well, that we could love each other well and go. And, and as, we, as we go out and we worship and we love and we do all of these things, we believe that what happens is that we, we show our citizenship of a different kind of place and as people see that citizenship, we help the, un, the world understand who Jesus is as we live this out. So, so this, is, this is the whole point this morning. The, the point is this, is God chose us to make Jesus known. Like collectively, this is what we exist for. This is why we're here. This is what God has done. Like God chose us. He has selected us. He's made us a part of his special people. And it's this special people, wherever they sit in their different outposts, whether it's here or down the road an hour or uh, across the world, if it's in the middle of Syria where Christians are getting persecuted, like wherever these outposts of the kingdom exist, these local churches, whatever it might be, they all exist in those places to make Jesus known. And God chose us, chose us as Christians to gather together, to be in places, to work together, to make Jesus known. So like right now, I mentioned the thing about Syria. There are Christians in Syria right now. The church, the local church in Syria, has actually decided to stick around. As, as the borders open up, as uh, Turkish armies start coming in, the, Kurdi, the, the Kurdish people, as they gather together in worship, it, and they, they're gathered around Christ, what, what they have decided is that it's going to be better for us. What we're going to do is we're, we could flee, and they would be right to flee. There's a lot of danger coming their way, but what they have decided instead is we're going to stick around and help here and help to, to show these people that we live around, like who Jesus is, by the way that we love, by the way that we invest, by the way that we help them after this terror sweeps through our city. Like that's what God chose us for. God chose us to make Jesus know. Okay, so what? And I just have two this morning. So what? Number one, a question: Is there another identity fighting for ultimate position in your life? So, um, so it is not wrong to to like those identities. To even want to be a part of those identities, like you know, I like being a barbershop singer, right? And I I doubt, like, there are very few circumstances when being a barbershop singer is going to, like, come in conflict with my, my Christian identity, but there might be a circumstance one day, right? And, and uh, what I do is I ultimately, like, set that identity aside because I have an ultimate identity in Jesus as a part of Jesus's people, And so, so our church is fulfilling our purpose, and our church actually being able to do what it's able to do is dependent on every one of our identities being more grounded in Jesus than they are in the various things that we might choose to find our identities in. So, so um, I would just encourage you as a self-reflective question, is there an identity fighting for ultimate, another identity fighting for ultimate position in your life? And then the second, second, so what is this? Our Sunday worship gathering is not just about you and Jesus. It's not, in fact, it's not even about you and Jesus. Primarily, when we get together here on Sunday morning, it's about us and Jesus. like This relationship. Like We express together what God has accomplished for us in Christ. Like We get to s- display worship and sing to God, and we get to proclaim the gospel, and we get to hear the good news over and over and over again. And all of this, we believe, is ultimately to give worship unto God so that, so that we can uh, let him know how grateful we are because Jesus has done something amazing for us. He's completely redefined our reality. He's made us a part of a new people. And, and so we do what we do here on Sundays as an offering, an expression of our gratefulness to him. Whether or not we feel it, whether or not we experience it, whether or not I'm going to finish preaching this sermon and you're, you're going to have gotten nothing out of it, we still do it because we give worship to Jesus, because it's worship, because that's what he calls us to do, because what he has accomplished for us is so utterly uh, life-defining, life-changing for us. Like, we once had a certain destiny, but he has now redefined our destiny. And so we gather together, not because of what we get out of it, but because us together, this group of people, we exist to worship Jesus, that's what we're here for. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, as we we even just close the service this morning, uh, I just ask that you would well up inside each and every one of us uh, gratefulness for what it is that you have accomplished for us. Lord, it's so easy for us to to come expecting something for ourselves. And Lord, you are such a generous God that, that when we come to you, you, you happen to give us good things, right? But Lord, um, Lord, help us each to acknowledge that, that even what we do here on Sunday morning is, is not primarily about us and getting what we need and getting fueled up for our weeks and that kind of stuff, but it's about us together gathering together as your people, proclaiming to the world around us the excellencies of who Jesus is, that, that when we get together, when we do what you call us to do, that people would look on us and they would see Jesus. They would know Jesus and that, that, um, Lord, that you would use that to draw people to yourself. So Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished for us. Thank you that you make us a part of a people that transcends skin color and, and transcends nationality and all of these things. And that we are actually are a part of uh, many more people who throughout, throughout the next 24 hours every week on Sunday, like people are getting together and worshiping Jesus and we're joined together. Like that, that nation is our nation. That people is our people. That race is our race. Like that is the, the group that we are a part of. These are the people that we most identify with. Lord, help us to see this be true in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.